Well, we're in Proverbs chapter 13. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts tonight as we study through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. There are different ways to teach a lesson. You can tell a story. You can share a parable. You can recite a poem or you can offer an explanation. Or you can distill that wisdom and you can pack it into a capsule. And that condensed form of wisdom is called a proverb. A proverb is a maxim. It's a pithy little saying. It's a terse statement phrased in a clever way that communicates a vital truth. Here are a few familiar English proverbs. All that glitter isn't gold. You've heard that before, haven't you? Here's another example. A penny saved is a penny earned. How about this one? Out of sight, out of mind. Different strokes for different folks. A picture is worth a thousand words. Just some common everyday English proverbs. I also found a few internet proverbs. A few internet proverbs. Internet proverbs. These are good. Home is where you hang your at. The email of the species is more deadly than the male. You can't teach a new mouse old clicks. The geek shall inherit the earth. <laughs> a chat has nine lives. <laughs> Don't bite off more than you can view. Facts is stranger than fiction. What boots up must come down. Oh, what a tangled website we weave. And last but not least, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach him to use the net and he won't bother you for weeks. <laughs> to understand Proverbs, you should take the proverb not as a promise, as much as a probability. You see, a proverb is an observation. In other words, this is usually how life turns out. The key word is usually. Exceptions can be found for most all the Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 10, verse 27 states, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And in most cases, that's true. Godliness makes for a healthier, happier, and thus a longer life. But we could also point to cases where evil people have grown old, where good people have died young. To accurately interpret the Proverbs, begin them with the phrase, the odds are, or in most cases. You see, I think it would be erroneous to say, obey the Proverbs and it will guarantee for you a prosperous life. There are few guarantees in a fallen world. But if you keep the Proverbs, you do raise the likelihood of a happy and wonderful and healthy life. Obviously, in a survey approach like Bible Scan, it's impossible for me to deal with each of Solomon's 700 Proverbs. Tonight, I'll touch on just a few of my favorites, and hopefully by doing so, give you kind of a feel for the flow and flavor and format of the Proverbs. Last week, we stopped here at the end of chapter 12, and this week, we'll pick up in chapter 13. And the first proverb, I think it's a great one, we want to deal with, and that is in verse 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, 
But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. In other words, buddy, learn to zip your lip. You know, it takes a human being his first two years of life to learn to talk. And then it takes him the rest of his life to learn to keep his mouth shut. Watch your words. It can literally save your life. Verse 4 is an important proverb. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. A lazy person desires, oh, he desires, he just won't perspire. A lazy person thinks that a paycheck is no sweat. Guys, no one is guaranteed a paycheck. It's been said the reason a lot of people do not recognize an opportunity when they meet it is that it usually goes around wearing overalls and looking like hard work. Diligence, stick-to-itness, hard work is the key to realizing your dreams. The great inventor Thomas Edison was quoted as saying, I am wondering what would have happened to me if some fluent talker had converted me to the theory of an eight-hour workday. If my life had been made up of mere eight-hour days, I do not believe I could have accomplished a great deal. The soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Verse 13 is a vital verse. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Guys, in the long run, your attitude towards God's word will determine the outcome of your life and your future, your forever. Verse 15, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. The way of the unfaithful is hard. You know, God created life to be lived with him. God is the creator. God's ways are good and right and healthy. And thus following Jesus is really the best way to navigate life's challenges. See, it's when you rebel, it's when you're defiant to God's word, that's when life becomes hard. The shortcuts that Satan offers are in reality the hard way, not the easy way. The easiest way to live life is to follow God's word. If you've got kids, Proverbs 13, verse 24 is crucial. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The word promptly means early. See, if you wait until a child is 15 years old to exercise discipline, you've waited far too late. You need to do it early, promptly in their life. It's been said the best time to tackle a minor, minor problem is before he grows up. Pediatricians tell us that the most that a parent can really do to shape a child's character has to be done by the age of five. Children are like wet cement. You've got to shape them early before they harden in their ways. And healthy, constructive discipline needs to occur early in a child's life. This is the first of several Proverbs that address the subject of corporal punishment. Here are the others. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 29, verse 15, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. 
Now, I can hear some of you asking, Sandy, do you really believe that God wants us to spank our kids? And my answer is a very qualified yes. And here are the qualifications. First of all, never spank your child in anger. Cool off before you apply the heat. Second, make sure you're spanking your child for the right reasons. Never spank your child for just being a child. For clumsiness. Oh, they spilt the glass of milk. That's just being a child. Or forgetfulness. Only acts of defiance and rebellion against your authority deserve a spanking. Third, never spank on the face or on the arms or on the head or on the ears. You see, God equipped the fanny with some extra padding. And and thus, he identified the place where you're supposed to apply the spanking. Fourth, to avoid, you need to avoid spanking with your hand. It's interesting, whenever the Bible speaks of corporal punishment, it refers to the rod, never the hand. You need to use a paddle or use your belt or a wooden spoon. You want your child to fear the rod, but welcome your hands. And fifth, make sure that your child understands why they're being spanked. The word discipline means to learn. And when a child is struck, it should be to instruct. And sixth, make sure the punishment fits the crime. In my house, not every act of obedience necessitates a spanking. If I can make the point in another way, I will. But having said all that, am I afraid to spank my kids? Natalie, am I? Absolutely not. A parent who loves his kids will apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. See, a child needs to realize that disobedience brings about painful consequences. And an excellent way to teach that is to manufacture some of that pain yourself by spanking your child. I heard of a mother who spanked her kids with a board. She had this paddle that she hung up on the wall in her kitchen. It was right next to a plaque that read... I need thee every hour. Her kids grew up not really knowing whether that plaque meant the Lord or the board. In reality, it meant both. Here's a quote. Don't set sail on the sea of parenthood without taking along a paddle. Proverbs 14, verse 4 tells us, Where no oxen are, the troth is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. And this is how I justify a cluttered desk. Right here. A messy troth or desk is a sign that the ox is in the stable and the field is getting plowed. You see, if you want an uncomplicated life, then never risk upsetting people. Never risk making a mistake. Just stay squeaky clean, but I promise you, you won't accomplish much with your life. The only person who never errs is the person who never tries. If you're serving the Lord, if you're wanting to do good, you'll make some messes. If there's an ox in the barn, you'll have a messy barn. Imagine baking a cake from scratch without making a mess in your kitchen. It's impossible. 
If you want a delicious cake, you've got to live with the mess. And likewise, effective ministry is never just tidy and neat and unmessy. They're messes that go along with ministry. The work, whenever you work with people, you've got to be willing to roll up your sleeves, get a little messy, do the dirty work, help people out on the ground level. Proverbs 14 verse 12 is a key verse. It must be important because it's repeated twice. It's repeated over again in chapter 16 verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It seems right, but it's a path that leads down the wrong road. It reminds me of Roy Regals, the man who made the 1929 Rose Bowl the most famous game in the bowl's storied history. You see, Roy played for the University of California, and in the first half of the game against Georgia Tech, Roy picked up a fumble, and he started racing toward the goal line. He ran 65 yards thinking he was about to be a hero, thinking that he was streaking for the goal line, that his team was about to score six points, until finally he was tackled by his own teammate. For you see, Royal Regals was running down the field the wrong way. And if he had crossed that goal line, he would have scored a touchdown all right, but for the wrong team. For 65 yards, O'Roy thought that he was doing something good. He was on the right road. But instead, those 65 yards were the worst mistake of his football career. And Georgia Tech ended up beating Roy Regal's California Bears to win the Rose Bowl. Tonight, you may be a Roy Regal's. It seems to you that the path you're on will lead to victory, that you're on the right path, but you could be headed in the wrong direction. Guys, if your path is not in harmony with God's word, beware. Verse 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And I can give personal testimony to the truth of that statement. The mistakes we can make with a quick temper. It's true, the emptier the pot, the quicker it boils. And the man with a short boil needs to be filled with God's love, God's mercy, God's spirit. And if you have a problem with a quick temper... Ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what we all need. Proverbs 14, verse 23, In all labor there is profit. I got an email recently entitled, The Ten Rules for Teens. And rule five states, Flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. In all labor, whether burger flipping or sweeping floors or digging ditches, there is a profit. Guys, a job is a job. You're not guaranteed one, and when you get one, you should be thankful for it. Verse 34 is a verse that applies to our nation, really any nation, but I think especially the United States of America. We need to remember righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 15, verse 1 tells us, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Once we had an old cat. 
who kept sleeping on the hood of my neighbor's brand new truck. And one day the guy went out and he saw my cat's paw prints on the hood of his truck and he got angry and he yelled across the yard at my wife, screamed at her, screamed at the kids. And she told me about it when I got home that night. Well, I knew I had to do something. I had to go and address the man. But I also knew that as mad as he was, if I approached him with stern words, with an angry tone, we'd end up in a fisticuffs. And so I walked out the door, told my wife, I wasn't back in 20 minutes, call the cops. <laughs> Give them my neighbor's address. And I walked over and I tried to be as nice, as polite as I could possibly be. And you know, I was amazed at his reaction. Because he had been furious before. But he just melted. And I'll never forget how he ended the conversation. He said, man, it's okay. I need to buy a tarp for that truck anyway. (laughs) I thought, man, a soft answer does turn away wrath. In 1 Samuel 26, when Nabal infuriated David, his wife Abigail diffused David's anger and saved her husband's life by approaching David with soft words. It's been said, diplomacy is the art of telling your friend he has an open mind instead of a hole in his head. How you say what you say is important. Notice verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God is omnipresent. God is in all places at all times. He sees all. He knows all. I love verses 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. In other words, I'd rather eat beans in a happy home than T-bones in the midst of friction. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. In other words, man, think before you talk. I wouldn't have made the mistakes I made this week had I thought before I spoke. In Mark chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus promised his disciples Do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That when called on to witness, that when challenged about our faith, that the Lord will give us supernatural recall. He he will, by His Spirit, give us the words to say in that situation. Well, in Proverbs 16, verse 1, Solomon makes a similar statement. He says, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You put it in your heart, and the Holy Spirit will draw it out when it's needed. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, is another example of why a proverb is more a probability than a promise. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, God can make a man so peaceable, so pleasant, that that pleasantness will disarm the man's enemies and actually cause his enemies to be reconciled and become friends. But does a peaceable nature always transform your enemies? Of course not. 
David was pleasing to God, but he had enemies on earth. None other than our Lord Jesus pleased God in every respect, and yet his enemies rose up and killed him. The point of this proverb, is it true? Well, at times, yes. Every time doesn't necessarily apply. Verse 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. It's been said, man proposes, but God disposes. God has the final say on all our plans. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, the bigger they think they are, the harder they fall. Notice verses 27 and 28, they tell us, an ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. A quote I heard a long time ago that has rung true over the years. Think about this. Superior minds talk about ideas. Average minds talk about things. Puny minds talk about people. What kind of a mind do you have? Some people just love to dig up gossip on other people. It reminds me of the mischievous husband wanted to play a prank on his wife, and so he looked out the window toward his neighbor's house, and he remarked to his wife across the room, Look at Beverly. She's kissing some man in her car. The wife raced to the window to look out and to peek at her neighbor. And that's when she got upset and she turned to her grinning husband and she shouted, That's not funny. It's just her husband. Some people are always looking for evil. They're looking for some juicy gossip. Charles Swindoll says that when a person calls him and starts the conversation with the comment, did you hear about so-and-so? He immediately asks them, now can I quote you on this? And if they won't put their name behind it, he says, I don't want to hear it. That's a good way to diffuse gossip. Before that person says a word, you ask them, well, can I quote you on this? Will you put your name behind this? Proverbs 16, verse 32 is a great verse. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Boy, we need to control our own spirits. Verse 33 tells us, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. In other words, there's no such thing as luck or fate or chance. Every roll of the dice, every bounce of the football, Every casting of the lot is ultimately governed by God. The first half of Proverbs 17, verse 6 tells us, Children's children are the crown of old men. I don't have grandkids yet, and I pray constantly it'll be a few more years before I do. But I do look forward to my grandkids when they come, when it's God's time. One of the reasons Kathy and I had four kids is that we envisioned long ago how much fun it would be to be sitting around the house with all kinds of grandkids playing at our feet. Children's children are the crown of old men. Look at verse 14. It applies to marriage, friendships, church, every facet of life. It says, The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention 
before a quarrel starts. In other words, once the grumbling gets started, it's a lot more difficult to shut it off. If you can catch it early, if you can deal with it from the outset, before it gets started, before it begins to cascade into an avalanche, if you can just stop the grumbling or the conflict up front, how much better, how much easier it is to deal with. Don't ignore it. It will only get worse. I love verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine. Medical studies are showing that laughter relaxes muscles. It stimulates organs. It releases releases chemicals in our body that aid in the healing process. They say a chuckle a day keeps the doctor away. The scientists say that even a forced laugh has beneficial medical and physical side effects. Which is another reason you should laugh at my jokes. (laughs) Even if you have to make yourself laugh. Even if you have to just force it out. They don't have to be funny. They're just an excuse for you to force out a laugh. And that in and of itself will do you good. Verse 28 tells us, Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. The same idea is contained in that old saying, keep your mouth shut and folks will wonder if you're a fool. Open it and you'll remove all doubt. (laughs) Hey, when your mind goes blank, do everybody a favor and turn off the sound. Proverbs 18 verse 1 A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. You see, in ancient warfare, when an army besieged a city, the first step the general took was to cut off the supply line supporting that city. He isolated the city. He dried up its resources. And once isolated, its defeat and demise was only a matter of time. Likewise, this is what the devil will do to a Christian. He will isolate that believer from other believers. He'll cut off the supply lines. He will estrange that believer from his friends, from the accountability that's around him in his family or in his church. He will distract that person from other believers. For if he can isolate them, he knows that it's only a matter of time before they'll be defeated. Griffith Thomas writes, If we forsake our fellow Christians, it may easily lead to our forsaking Christ. We need to fight to stay connected to the body of Christ. It's our supply line. Verse 2 reveals the fool's agenda. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. You see, all the fool cares about is just spewing their opinion. Reminds me of the tombstone in England. The tombstone read, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. Apparently she didn't start it until she died on the 24th of May. Verse 10 is a wonderful verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You know, if I walked into the Braves clubhouse, I would not be welcome. The players, the security guards would usher me out, but not if my last name was Cox. 
If I was Bobby's kid, no one would bother me. I would have access. You see, we are God's kids. We wear God's name, the name of the Lord. We are in Christ. It's our name as well. In his world, the name of Jesus carries weight and authority, just as much as Cox does in the Braves clubhouse. The name of the Lord is a shelter. It's a protection. You see, Satan is hindered. Prayers are answered. Blessings flow in the name of Jesus. In the midst of a conflict, call on the name of the Lord. It's a strong tower. It's a tower the enemy cannot reach, the enemy cannot breach. Verse 13 tells us, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. I've made this mistake on numerous occasions with my kids, just assumed that I knew the situation before I really sat down and listened. See, a gossip puts two and two together when they're not even holding hands. Verse 18 is another verse for parents. Casting lots causes contentions to cease. Okay, kids, pick a number between one and five. That's a great way to decide who gets to ride in the front seat, who gets to go first. Casting lots causes contentions to cease. Verse 19 is true. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. You see, some folks just won't forgive. You offend them, and they become like the bars of a castle. They hold on to their hurts. They get bitter, and their bitterness becomes the iron bars that keep them in a prison. And even though you go to them, and even though you love them, and you repent, and you try your best to reconcile, they hold it against you. And we need to pray for them because they're hurting themselves. Remember, bitterness is a poison that does far more damage on where it's stored than on where it's poured. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. It's best not to offend him in the first place. I agree with verse 22. Boy, do I agree with it. I think Kevin agrees with it too. (laughs) He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know what it doesn't say, and it's always kind of bothered me a little. She who finds a husband finds a good thing. Never says that. We're just assuming that that's true, but it really doesn't say that. But he who finds a wife does indeed find a good thing. Right after I got married, Kathy and I had a little spat. And I went running to my dad. Or some solace. And I'll never forget it. My dad was out tilling in his garden. And he must have seen me coming. He never even turned off the, the rotiller. He, he just put it in neutral. And he turned around and he said, what do you want? <laughs> I said, Dad, Kathy, now you won't, you won't believe what Kathy's done to me. And he said, son, I don't want to hear it. I have lived with you for 20 years and I know how you are. You go home, 
You say you're sorry for whatever you've done, and you'd be thankful you have found someone that will put up with you. (laughs) I've never gone back to my dad for marital advice. (laughs) But you know what? I have never forgotten his words either because he was so right. So right. And you know, I testify that he who finds a wife I'm so glad I found somebody that would put up with me. I found a good thing when I found Kathy. You're also blessed if you have friends. Proverbs 18 verse 24 tells us, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. It reminds me of the poem, I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend and friends were everywhere. Amazing. You see, you build strong friendships by being a good friend to others. Verse 24 also says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And our most faithful friend is our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that in John 15, verse 15, he said to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. <laughs> isn't that neat? That the God in heaven refers to us now as friends. Proverbs 19, verse 13, describes the foolish son and the contentious wife. He says, a foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. In other words, a nagging wife is like a leaky faucet. Ladies, let me say it once. I'm actually going to say it twice, but all husbands, Short husbands, tall husbands, fat husbands, skinny husbands, black husbands, white husbands, rich husbands, poor husbands, all husbands. It doesn't matter. All husbands hate to be nagged. You're not causing your husband to love you more by nagging him. You are driving him away. You are making him bitter. Of course, let me say a word to us guys. It's been said, if you treat your wife like a thoroughbred, then she'll never be a nag. (laughs) And you know what? If a faucet continually drips, you know what that says to me? It says, I need to make a repair. You know, you repair leaky faucets. And if my faucet is dripping, I need to go and make a repair. Maybe I'm not loving my wife as I should, and that's why she's nagging me. Regardless, though, ladies, it's wrong to nag your husband. It's possible that you both have a problem that you need to address. Verse 17 tells us, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Isn't that wonderful? You know, if you're an investor, you're looking for good opportunities, low-risk, high-yield opportunities. You can't find a better one than this. When you lend to the poor, you're really lending to God. (laughs) And God always pays His debts. He'll always pay off, and He'll pay off with great interest. So when you show pity on the poor, that's a great investment. That will come back around and God will bless you in return. Proverbs 20 verse 1 warns us, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. 
and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Many a man has lost his all to the bottle. The worst death I ever witnessed was that of an alcoholic who died of cirrhosis of the liver. It was a hideous death. I have never seen someone so racked with pain. His shriveled up little body was just wasting away before your eyes. Man, I'm telling you, young people, I'm telling you, if you could have seen that man, you would never drink a drop of alcohol. I promise you. The Bible warns us about the dangers of alcohol. The Bible, though, stops short of a blanket prohibition. It doesn't forbid wine completely, but it certainly warns us about its dangers. It says alcohol is a mocker. In other words, it will embarrass you. It's a brawler. It will batter you. I can't tell you it's wrong to ever drink a glass of wine, but I can tell you this, and listen to me. Y'all listen to me. If you never drink a drop of alcohol, you will never be an alcoholic. That's a promise. And for me, that's reason enough not to even play with it. Why risk it? Why even touch the stuff? You've got the Holy Spirit anyway. And the Holy Spirit brings far more joy than distilled spirits. Verse 5 encourages us to be a good listener. We're told, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And here's another verse for parents. Kids bottle up their emotions, and it's up to us who are parents to learn to draw out those pent-up feelings. Speak to your child in non-threatening tones. Assure them of your love. Ask them questions. Try to get them to talk about their feelings. It's been said, talk to your kids in a way that makes them want to listen and listen to your kids in a way that makes them want to talk. Proverbs 20 verse 19 tells us, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Hey, don't be naive. <laughs> don't be lulled into gossip by the lips of a flatterer because I promise you this. If a so-called friend will talk to you about another person, trust me, that same so-called friend will talk to another person about you. I guarantee you. Proverbs 21, verse 1 is a vital verse. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The king was the mightiest person in the land, but in truth, he was just a puppet on the string. Guys, it's not Washington, it's not Beijing, it's not Moscow that's calling the shots in the world today. God is on the throne in heaven, and God does whatever He wishes. Verse 9 tells us, Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Here's the same point made another way. Ladies, burn his meals, run up his credit cards, Ask your mother to move in and live with you. Do anything, but just don't nag him. Hey, your husband's world is full of negativity. 
He gets negativity all day long. Don't subject him to more of the same pessimistic drone when he comes home at night. Try to brighten up his life a little. I know you have problems with your husband. I know your husband has problems that need to be addressed. But trust me, nagging the old boy is not the way to get those problems solved. Negativity, contentious talk only muddies the water and further alienates the two of you. Nagging will backfire. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. When your name is spoken in a crowd, what thoughts do you want to come to people's minds when they hear your name? Verse 6 is another verse for parents. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, usually when this verse is read, the emphasis is on the word way. As if, you know, train up a child in the right way. And then when he gets older, he'll, he'll come back to that. But really, in the Hebrew, the stress is on the word he. Train up a child in the way he should go. The implication is, is that you should fit your training to the personality of the child. A one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. The training needs to be tailored to the child. You've noticed it. Kids grow up in the same home, get the same training, the same discipline, and they go two opposite directions. Why is that? It's because when children are born, they don't come into the world a blank slate. They come in the world with bends to their nature. They're pre-programmed in so many ways. And we need to recognize how our child is wired, and then tailor our instruction and our encouragement and our discipline and our training to that child's individuality. You see, if your child is an artist, don't try to force them to be an athlete. If they're an athlete, don't try to force them to be an artist. If they're strong-willed, use a strong hand. If they're more compliant, extra encouragement may be necessary. Cookie-cutter approaches to parenting seldom work. What worked on the firstborn may not work on the youngest. A parent has to learn their child and then train that child in the way that child should go. Proverbs 22 verse 7 tells us, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. If there's one financial strategy I would recommend to you tonight, it would be get out of debt and stay out of debt. See, you don't need new furniture. You don't need a new SUV. You don't need a vacation condo. If you can't pay cash, then just don't buy it. Debt sucks the joy out of life, trust me. It's a bondage. Notice he says the borrower is servant to the lender. Man, when you're mortgaged to the hilt, you can't take another job. You're stuck in the job you're in. You can't take a vacation. You can't buy a home. You can't give to the Lord as you'd like. What if God calls you on a missions trip? You can't go. You're stuck. There's no margin in your finances to do the things you really want to do. Every dollar goes to that blasted credit union. When you're heavily in debt, man, you're enslaved. There is, though, a cure. And it's really pretty simple. 
You need to start denying your wants and living at your means. That's the cure. Deny your wants and live at your means. There's an old saying, if your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. Verse 13 is another picture of the lazy person and the silly excuses why he won't go to work. The lazy man says, there is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. Let me just call in sick. There's no lion. He's just lying. He'll use any reason to lay out of work. Proverbs 23 verses 17 and 18 say, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Guys, don't get bent out of shape. When you see the wicked prosper, when you see the righteous suffer, don't let it bother you. One day, God will right all wrongs. Righteousness will be rewarded. Wickedness will be judged. What doesn't get sorted out in this life, trust me, will get sorted out and dealt with in the hereafter. Verse 22 of Proverbs 23 tells us, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Guys, nobody cares more about you than your parents. Listen to them. From verses 26 through the end of the chapter, Solomon warns his son about two things, about wine and about women. Verse 31 tells us, Do not look on the wine when it is red. In other words, when it's fermented. When it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. You see, even the appearance of alcohol can be deceptive, can it? You've seen those beer commercials when they zoom in on the mug, you know, and and all you can see is just the mug and then that golden toned liquid sparkling splashes down the walls of the mug and just sort of cascades down like a bubbling, babbling brook. A beautiful little waterfall, you know, as it just kind of fills the basin and the foam just sort of rises to the top and it looks so rich and so refreshing and so wonderful. And everybody's laughing and everybody's partying and everybody around it's having a happy time. Why doesn't the camera pan out into the street and see the drunk lying there in his vomit? You know, where's the opposing opinion? In these commercials. You know, it looks so wonderful. But notice Solomon says, At the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Proverbs 24 verse 6 tells us, In a multitude of counselors there is safety. There is always an exception But a consensus of opinion is generally safe ground. Verse 16, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, 
In other words, it's not how many times you fall that counts, as long as you get back up one more time. Verse 27 is excellent advice for a young man. It says, prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field and afterward build your house. In other words, finish your education before you get married. Get your career established. Then start a family. You see, the long hours it takes to get started may not be compatible with a happily married life. And so deal with those career issues. Get yourself on good footings, then get married. Proverbs 25 verse 2 tells us, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. God loves to forgive. Man loves to condemn. Verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. I like that. In other words, words are powerful. The right word spoken at the right time can be such an encouragement. You ever been down? You felt defeated? Somebody just spoke the right word at the right time and it just lifted you. Put wind back in your sails. Just gave you new hope. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Verse 17 is a great verse. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. You need to pick one of those homes out on back of the Calvary Connections list that's opening up their home for fellowship. You need to go over there on the appointed night, spend some time with that family, enjoy the fellowship, but don't go back the next night and then the next night and the next night and the next night. That's the point of this proverb. Don't overstay your welcome. Proverbs 26 verse 17 is another interesting verse. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. And all you have to do is look at what happened to the Tennessee Vols last night to get an idea of what happens when you take a dog by the ears. Now, Sticking your nose in someone else's business can be hazardous to your health. I was driving through a crowded intersection one afternoon when I noticed a man beating up a woman in the front seat of his car. Myself, along with several other people, pulled off the side of the road, and a bunch of us men, we jumped up and we ran over and we tried to restrain the guy. And we thought we had the guy under control when suddenly he broke loose and he walked around to the passenger seat of the car and he grabbed a screwdriver. And he was about to use it as a weapon when thankfully the police arrived. I'm not saying never get involved. We need to be involved in other people's lives. Just realize the risk and approach that kind of involvement with caution, because he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Verse 18 and 19 is a needed warning. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Oh, I was only joking. Hey, naming a hurtful statement a joke doesn't negate the damage that it does. Remember that. 
Verse 27 says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. It reminds me of the thief I read about who broke into the shop window by grabbing a manhole cover, and he threw it through the glass. He reached in, he grabbed the merchandise he wanted and took off, but in the midst of his getaway, he fell right back into manhole. (laughs) He who digs a pit will fall into it. Bad deeds often backfire. Proverbs 27, verse 1 is a classic. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Only God knows the future. And this is why we all should avoid procrastination. Don't assume you can do it later, guys. Later may never come. Verse 6 of Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You see, a true friend will tell you the truth all the time, even when the truth might hurt. In other words, he's willing, she's willing to hurt your feelings if the rebuke will spare you from a more dangerous mistake. And so learn to appreciate the wounds of a friend. Verse 17 is a powerful proverb. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You see, when fellow believers get together, they sharpen each other's conviction. They encourage each other. They challenge each other. It benefits the whole group when brothers and sisters get together in Christ. Verse 23 is important for overseers. If you're in any type of management position, pay attention to verse 23. It says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Notice, be engaged in what you're doing. Be observant. Be attentive to detail. Don't get distracted with peripheral pursuits and forget why you're there. Always pay attention to those factors that will impact your area of responsibility. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. Reminds me of a newspaper man in London who sent a letter to ten of the city's most prominent men. The letter was brief. All it said was quick. All is uncovered. Leave immediately. Within 24 hours, all ten men had packed up and evacuated the city. Why? Because the wicked are always on the run. There is something out there that they've covered up. On the other hand, the righteous have nothing to run from. And that's why the last half of the verse reads, The righteous are bold as a lion. They're not covering anything up. They're not hiding anything. And that's why they can be bold. William Wilberforce was a champion for anti-slavery laws in the British Parliament. Historians tell us that he was small, that he was frail in appearance, and yet he was described as one observer as a shrimp who, as he was speaking, grew into a whale. I like that. When a man has God on his side and knows it, he is bold as a lion. Verse 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Guys, always remember, the only unforgivable sin is an unconfessed sin. When you go to the polls this November, please remember Proverbs 29 verse 2. 
When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. In America, we get to elect our officials. Please make sure you participate. Verse 11 refutes a psychological myth. People say it's good to let it all hang out. You've heard that. Man, just vent your feelings. Say whatever's on your mind, regardless of its impact on others. And you know, there are times when it is healthy to release pent-up emotions. But this verse presents the balance. Verse 11 tells us, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Just the unbridled regurgitation of feelings can do some irreparable harm. If you just say whatever's on your mind without concern and consideration for the feelings of others, hey, you can do damage. You know, there are times when you don't need to express your feelings. You just need to keep them to yourself. Not all feelings need to be verbalized. Restraint is still a virtue. Verse 15 is another verse for parents. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. I was reading about this when Kathy called me and said, Sandy, should I go to the marriage conference Friday night or not? She said, I can't find a babysitter, but I think the kids can all kind of stay there by themselves, and I think they can work it out. I think they can make it happen. And I said, wait a minute, honey, I just read this verse. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. She said, that settles it. I'll just stay home. You know, we used to think that it was important for Kathy to be home with the kids when they were tots. And later she would go back to work and so forth. But now we realize it is every bit as vital, if not more so, for mom to be home with our teenagers for mom to be there when they get there. You see, it just doesn't take long for a kid to mess up. And that's why you need to limit their unsupervised time. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1 begins, The words of Agur, the son of Jaka. And notice how he begins, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Now, as we'll see, this Agur was not a foolish man. In fact, he was quite wise. But understand the mark of true wisdom is the realization of how little we actually know. The wiser a man is, the more he'll realize how little he knows and how much he needs to know. It's been said the knowledge of God is so deep, the theologian can never touch bottom, but it's so shallow that a child can stand and not drown. The Godhead is beyond our understanding, but God's truth is simple enough that even children can grasp it and follow it. A prayer appears among the Proverbs in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 30. And it is such a wise prayer. It's a wise request. He says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Lord, just keep me somewhere in between. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? 
or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Lord, Lord, don't get me so fat and full that I'll forget about you. But at the same time, too, Lord, don't make me so poor that I am tempted to steal and deny your name. Just kind of meet my needs, Lord, and keep me looking to heaven. I like that. That'd be enough for me. Verse 11 says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. And verse 15 further characterizes this generation. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. In other words, there is a generation that's like a leech. It's the gimme generation. It's just a generation of bloodsuckers. All they can think about is themselves, what they can get, how they can prosper, how they can go places. They're just consumed with selfishness. For the rest of chapter 30, Agur provides us a series of illustrations. Verse 15 says, There are three things that are never satisfied, four never say enough. And he gives us these four pictures from nature that illustrate life's unavoidables. Verse 18 says, There are three things which are too wonderful for me, yes, four which I do not understand. And here he reveals four mysteries that illustrate the beauty of life. Verse 21 says, For three things the earth is perturbed, yes, for four it cannot bear up. And here we have four examples of life's many frustrations. Verse 24 says, There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. And here we're taught that even the little things in life are important. And in verse 29 There are three things which are majestic in pace. Yes, four which are stately in walk. And these animals speak of the movements or the progressions in life. And so we have life's unavoidables, the beauty of life, life's many frustrations, the little things are important, and the progressions in life. And by studying these 20 illustrations... You can glean much wisdom. You will be blessed. I commend you to do just that. Proverbs 31, verse 1 begins, The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Now, if you'll review the list of the Hebrew kings, you'll notice that there was no one named Lemuel. And Jewish sources think that Lemuel was the nickname that Solomon's mother Bathsheba used for her son. Lemuel means devoted to the Lord. And this makes for a fascinating scenario. Because if this is true, Proverbs 31 then is the wisdom that came from the infamous and one time very unwise Bathsheba. You remember Bathsheba was the bathing beauty of 2 Samuel 11, who ended up committing adultery with King David. And yet, she could possibly be the author of this famous passage on the virtuous woman. Isn't that interesting? You see, sometimes when a person throws away their virtue, 
they suddenly learn to appreciate it. And they begin to admire its importance. And perhaps that's what happened with Bathsheba. When she lost it, she realized, wow, what have I thrown away? And in her repentance, she writes this moving and beautiful portrait of the virtuous woman. And I'm sure from that day forward, she aspired to be just like the woman she describes in Proverbs 31. If Lemuel was indeed Solomon, verse 3 proves that he didn't heed his own advice. He was told, do not give your strength to women. You remember Solomon was the man who acquired 700 wives and 300 concubines. Verses 4 through 7 are another warning against alcohol. And this time it's directed to the king. And I believe it applies to anyone in leadership. You see, a king or a pastor or an elder in the church or a community leader may be called on at a moment's notice to make a crucial decision. And that's why he needs to stay sober at all times. Never let anything cloud his judgment. Wouldn't it be awful if you called the pastor with a problem and he was drunk? And that's why the New Testament forbids the elders or the pastors from drinking wine. Verses 10 through 31 is the portrait of the virtuous woman. In the original Hebrew text, these last 22 verses form an acrostic which aided in memorization of this passage. As a single man, I was told that if I ever found the woman described in Proverbs 31, that I should just marry her on the spot. And when I found her, that's exactly what I did. We were engaged in July, we were married in August, and we have been happily married for 20 years. And Kathy is indeed a virtuous woman, and her husband rises up in the gates and calls her blessed. Her description is summed up in the last part of this chapter, and I wasn't planning on reading it, but I think I should. Proverbs 31 beginning in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of his life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar, even from Kroger Publix. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She gets those exercise tapes and works out to stay strong. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stays up late doing good for her family. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. You know, she loves her family, but she doesn't limit her favors to her family. She reaches out to the community beyond her family, and she does good. 
She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestries for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her. In the gates. Ladies, your complexion will weather. Your skin will sag eventually. Your hands will wrinkle. But this woman never loses her beauty. Because here is a woman who is attractive on the inside. And she will be gorgeous for all eternity. And you will too. If you are a virtuous woman.